Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to him like you did last week. Look at him and say, it's good to see you, okay? Hey, we're so glad that you're here at Crossroads uh, Church. Uh, my name's Sam. For those of you who don't know, I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say, this around here. We say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, you can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. And uh, you can uh, take that. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter number 10. We've been in this series for several weeks now, and we are going to continue on for many more weeks to come. And the book is uh, beginning to show us uh, some very important things in the text that ultimately Jesus will say what he's going to do, and then the last part of John will show us what he actually did and the implications of that, that he calls his own shots, he's a man of his word, he does what he says he will do. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, and you can say amen when you're there. I'll wait for the rest of you. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, it says, at the time... At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So Jews gathered around him. You could translate that word when he uses the word Jews. He means the religious teachers, the people who were holding the keys to the belief systems of the areas. He's in the temple. He's walking along the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Can I tell you that these are not inquisitive fans of Jesus, but they are conniving and manipulative, and they are looking for a charge to bring against Jesus. So tell us plainly so we can be justified in our charge against you. Tell us plainly, how long will you keep us in suspense? Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe. I told you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you, do, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. That's probably a verse you want to underline and put an asterisk beside I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have 
shown you many good works from my father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace over the next few moments that you would help us see you more clearly. And that would inform everything about our lives, what we're to say, what we're to do, that seeing you causes us to believe exactly who you are. Let us hear your voice. Let us ignore strangers that try to woo us, try to manipulate us. Let us be steadfast in hearing the voice of the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. Let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. There's some pretty impactful um, things in this particular passage, but let me let you in on some insight. I've said this at different times and felt like I'd need to explain it. And uh, I was hanging out with a young couple last night who uh, do ministry down in um, in Southern California, and uh, we were we came in here uh, after hours, church after hours, uh, and uh, that's a joke. And uh, means I live close by, and we came in here last night, and uh, and and so we were talking about ministry, and and I was talking about uh, this opening that I do, and, and, and I was sitting on the stage talking with them, and, and uh, many years ago, I had a pastor uh, say to me, uh, Sam, you got you to gotta develop some repetition at the beginning, and what it will do is it will calm your nerves, you'll be able to settle down, and then it'll be like sitting in a comfy chair, this is not very comfortable, uh, but you'll settle down, and, you'll, and it'll be like a breath of fresh air, and you'll be able to go, I've been here before. And, and oftentimes, uh, you know, people have a fear of public speaking, and that is my entire life. And so uh, how would I use skills and tricks and tools to try to just make that experience easier for me, easier for you? And, and so what I did was I, I developed this opening line that many of you have heard a thousand times. And, uh, and, and I see in the crowd oftentimes many of you saying it with me, or, or some of you have been here a while, like this is your moment to, to check in with somebody else right before uh, he gets to the text, or oh, he's in the opening, I've heard this, I'll get some coffee, and, uh, and there's no judgment. And, and then there are people who have, uh, maybe this is your first time today, and that was the first time you ever heard me say it, or uh, maybe the first few times or like by the third time you're like oh he does this every week right because that, that, that's kind of like we, what we do like something's new until we've done it a few times and now that's what we've always done like that's the cycle of the church you know uh, now uh, next week uh, I uh, it will be six years as lead pastor here at the church uh, next week and and I'm pretty excited about that and, um, I, you know, uh, many of you have been here, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's interesting to see the progression, and I had a pastor tell me that, that at first people were like, oh, you're changing everything, and by year three, we're like, we've always done this, right? And uh, they'll, they'll forget why we've done what we've done, and, and so some of that, uh, that opening line is to create that. For you, you settle down, I settle down, 
And it's, it's, a, a, it's a speaking trick. But I thought, man, if I'm going to trick you, uh, I, I might uh, maybe use that for uh, your benefit if the trick is for my benefit. And so I started thinking, what could I say at the beginning that would set the precedent, one for me and two for you? And I started saying, well, what if I just talked about who Jesus was right off the bat? And what a concept for a church, right? And can I just can I just give you a tip that if you dabble in and uh, you're a bit of a, a sermon connoisseur, and some of you may be, and, and you just want the words of Jesus, if if you uh, don't hear the name Jesus early and often, turn it off. And then make sure that when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about the same Jesus that the Bible speaks of. Amen? And so, uh, you know, there's stories where people were telling Jesus stories to Jesus but missed that they were with Jesus because they missed the point of Jesus. And so there are people who can tell Jesus stories but not actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus and what he did and who he is. And so uh, these are one of those moments. So in the opening of the sermon, I say this in such a way that when you walk away, here's what you know, Jesus is the greatest person in human history. And like, that's not up for debate. Like, Google you and Google Jesus and guess who wins, right, friends? There's more information about whether or not they follow Jesus or fans of Jesus. Jesus, uh, although being this man from Galilee, never traveled more than 150 miles, no Twitter, no Facebook, no LinkedIn, no marketing, right? Uh, no Etsy page, is now, uh, now the most famous person in human history. And the Bible actually predicted it. Uh, Philippians is going to say that Jesus has a name which is above every other name. Jesus is the most controversial. Jesus is the most debated. Jesus is the, the most disputed, most wrote about, most sung about. And this is not up for debate. That's why we literally measure time still, although we want to slide of hand remove that, we measure time based on his life. This is reality. And so I start by saying he's the most famous person in human history. And, and you say, well, I can agree with that. I don't know who, who he is. And, and then there's people even inside of religious uh, sects that will debate on what Jesus actually said about himself. In particular, did he say he was God? And so I add the next line, most famous person in human history. I actually believe he's more than just a person. You've heard this before. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so that's not merely my idea. So let me say to you that that is not just a crafty, um, uh, a crafty uh, uh, trick for uh, being a great orator. That is biblical theology, and it's not up for debate. And so th that's where we then go that we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. These people, so sometimes we say the Bible says, but what we could say is that John tells us, 
right? Sometimes what we've done is we've removed the fingerprints and the raw and realness of the scripture that this young boy followed Jesus around. And it was one of the most impactful times of his life. You remember those impactful times of your life. They become vivid no matter how far away they were. Uh, Those impactful moments, the details, the smells. You can't remember what you had for breakfast this morning. Uh, And yet, those impactful times that were years and years ago, you can give every specific detail. John gives us details that other authors do not give us and tell us things that Jesus uh, told them. And one specifically that ultimately... Uh, Jesus says that is debated is did Jesus actually claim to be God and here's one of our passages how do we know that literally after he speaks and what he says in this statement he says I and the father are one God is the father is in me and I am in him and immediately they pick up stones to stone him to kill him they start and say just give us the charge tell us plainly and then he obliges their request and yet sometimes what happens we're so far removed from the text and the cultural implications and maybe even the theological ramifications of saying these things with sleight of hand people remove what Jesus actually said because if you if you take in account what Jesus actually said then you are forced to do something with your belief system about who Jesus actually is you're not able to as C.S. Lewis would say would simply make him a good teacher he's either liar he's lunatic or he's lord could you imagine that if Jesus knew he was lying and said things like they are mine and I am uh, with them and they are my fathers and I'm going to protect them and I'm going to give them life that death can't Stop. I'm going to give them life and they will never perish. Now think about it. That's what Jesus says. The verse I told you to underline, but you didn't listen. Uh, I give them eternal life. What is eternal life? Life that death cannot stop. They will never perish. They will always exist. He gives them this verse. Now imagine if Jesus knows he's lying, knows it's not true, but says this sort of thing anyway. And people believe him, which they do. And they actually go on to their death, becoming martyrs for his name's sake. And imagine, he goes to his death still propagating a lie knowing people will believe in him knowing people will suffer and die for him now if he was lying and he knew it you could not make that man good he may be a con artist above all other con artists he goes from good to wicked quickly he goes from being a good teacher and a man of love and grace to manipulating people to allow their whole families to be martyred for his name he goes from good to low life to the lowest to maybe even satan himself or maybe he's crazy 
Maybe he believes the lie and he's just crazy. But how do you convince billions of people over thousands of years to follow you if you're merely crazy? How do you convince your brother that you're God? You know your boneheaded brother. Yeah, go down for that guy, right? It does not happen. So he's simply not a good teacher. He's liar, lunatic, or he's actually God in the flesh, Lord above all king over everything he is in charge of my life because he created and gave my life I am his creation he is my creator and is not up for debate what my life is for someone say amen to that see this is the reality of the the text that we find ourselves in we think that Jesus is merely in a scuffle on a debate of of good teaching or interpreting the scriptures. Maybe he's in a theological debate or he's actually claiming to be the fulfillment of everything they've looked for and hoped for. And the question is, what were they looking for and what were they hoping for? Notice in verse 22, it says, at the time, uh, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem in the winter. Maybe you're familiar with the holiday Hanukkah, the lighting of the ca- candles, the, the feast of dedication. And, and maybe you've seen this done. You've seen the decorative, uh, and it tells us that it's in the winter time. It gives us all this idea. But this is the feast where they celebrate the Maccabean revolt. Well, what is the Maccabean revolt? It was this time where uh, this man uh, decided that he was going to take back the temple. See, a, a foreign government had come in and overthrown them. They had sacked the temple and was not allowing them to worship God in their temple anymore. And so he gets some guys together and they start a revolution. They go, no, 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 you're not going to take our religious uh, uh, beliefs. You're not going to take our place that is sacred from us. And, and, and so they, they get weapons together. They get organized and they storm the city and they take back the city and the temple and they rededicate it to God. But maybe you are a history buff. Maybe you realize that for many weeks that worked out for them. And then what you would know is that then there was another foreign government that came. And there was others who stopped them. And although they allowed them to continue to use the temple in certain ways, they weren't completely free. And so... They thought that at one time, maybe this uh, Judah Maccabee was the Messiah. Maybe this was the Christ. Maybe this person was coming to free us and make us a great nation and allow us to rule and reign our own lives the way we see fit. Now, that's not too much to ask, do you think? Right? Like, you think that uh, you're a sovereign individual 
meaning that you have free will to choose to live and move and have your being because you're made in the image of God and God is sovereign. He does what he wills and no one tells him what he is for and yet he gives us a level of sovereignty. In other words, that I have control over myself and ultimately in honor of the one who gave me my Self, and that I have no ability to intrude on someone else's self because <laughs> that's essentially the idea of the Ten Commandments. Honor God and then honor one another. Don't take their stuff. And then ultimately at the end of it, it says that if you do that... The tenth, the tenth commandment is thou shalt not covet. And one rabbi says it this way, that if in the, the Ten Commandments, the, the last one holds a promise. Because if you honor God and you love one another and you don't take one and you respect one another, yourself and their self, that at the end of the day, you won't want anyone else's life. Tell him I said hello. Uh, and... Uh, and so the, the promise is this, that if I love God and love people, that's ultimately what Jesus says in the golden room. He said, what's the greatest rule? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you're to worship him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as your you see, you see what we did there, right? You, you, you love your neighbor as yourself. That if you didn't want him to take your stuff and intrude on yourself being that you would respect him or her and you would do the same for them, loving them as yourself. What a concept. And he says in this, you actually keep all of the law and all of the prophets. That everything is fulfilled in these two things honoring God who is sovereign who gives to us life and and freedom and well-being and gives us the parameters in which we are to live and he puts us with other people where if we respect one another and honor one another for being a a sovereign being made in the image of the sovereign God of the universe then ultimately you will interact in such a way that brings joy and happiness and peace and then we know the story how everything hits the fan and oh no here we are that no one respects another one's self-being and we're trying to make ourselves more when the bible says you ought not think more highly of your let's try that you you, you ought not think more highly of your self than you ought to so where where do these thoughts about myself come from well the one who made my self right so then I don't allow my thoughts to be higher than his thoughts and I submit my my thoughts to his will and his rule and his reign because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and I can tell you I got a lot of thoughts how about you right? I got a lot that I gotta sift through and 
categorize and, 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 tr- and try to allow to, 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 to settle. And, and, and ultimately, the things I see and the things I read and the things I watch, they create more thoughts than I originally had. Have you ever noticed that? Right? You know, I never, never thought about that. <laughs> now you do, right? Like, and then all of a sudden that thought, somehow they, they tend to you ever seen it? They, they tend to multiply, right? Like gremlins, right? <laughs> and, and a lot of times with wrong food and lack of sleep, many more come, right? And, and, and so I, I got to figure out how to take all of that and go, okay, Jesus, I got some ideas about a lot of things. And that's no different than the people in the scripture, that they had some ideas and they actually put their ideas into practice and they stormed the temple. They took it back over. But then they're like, where do we go from here? And then what we've realized is we've tried to make new laws, new decrees, new mandates, but ultimately, man will not change with mandates. And laws will never change hearts. So you can legislate all you want. But flesh and bone is flesh and bone. And this stuff withers, fades. That's why we've got to keep most of them in airtight, sealed boxes, Right? <laughs> Because we can't legislate those things. So then this, this passage actually opens us up to, to the contrast that we have to struggle with is that what they wanted was revolution. And at one time they actually got it. And then it didn't quite work out the way they thought it was going to work out because their trust was in them and it was not in him. And that rhymed much better than I expected it to. <laughs> Their, their trust was in themselves. And yet, this is the time where Jesus comes to the temple at the time where they're actually celebrating a time that no longer lasts, that didn't fully work out, that didn't last through the ages. It did not illuminate the world. It did not make the temple the center of the universe. It did not make the Jewish people a beacon of hope for all to see. It, it just kept them with, with being okay with crumbs and being okay with a little, but never fully recognizing that there was a bigger picture. Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll We'll help ourselves be okay in the here and the now. That's why they say ignorance is bliss when you say, like, I'll just enjoy this. And sometimes that can be helpful. But sometimes ignoring everything else and just putting my head down and going, well, you know, too bad for everybody else. We'll take our little piece of the pie. And yet this is where the corruption of the temple came in. There were a few people who were allowed to do certain things. And, and then the Roman government, you can have your, uh, your system, but we'll make sure that we're controlling your leader. And that's where King Herod is in, a puppet king of the Romans. And so what they thought would work didn't last. Have you ever had that happen with you? Right, it worked for a moment. I mean, duct tape will keep it on there for a bit, friend, right? <laughs> 
right? We call that Kentucky Chrome where I'm from. All right, baby. Right? Like might be some of my camper. I don't know. And, uh, and, and, and it works for a bit, but ultimately... Jesus comes into the temple at the time where they're celebrating this thing that, that ultimately is a loss, not a win. And he walks around the temple and the Jews gather around him because they're looking for the next revolt. They're looking for the next revolution, the next leader. And maybe this one will last. Maybe this one will actually be ultimate freedom. And so they say, tell us. They're not convinced. Why? Because Jesus isn't acting like a revolutionary. He's not acting the way the other ones did. He's doing things. But everyone is slightly intrigued. Why? Because in revolution, we're going to need a lot of help. And it would be nice that in, in the engagement of warfare, if they were able to cut off our food supply, man, I heard he fed 5,000 people out of a lunchable lunchbox. Like, that would be helpful, right? Like, uh, I hear he can open the eyes of the blind. I hear he can heal people who are sick. Man, if they hurt us, he can heal us. And I heard he can even raise the dead. And he's going to confirm that in just this next chapter. And it won't be a secret. It'll be out in the open and everyone will know it. It won't, well, maybe the boy was already, maybe she was just merely sleeping. No, we're going to leave him in the tomb for four days and we're going to show that Jesus has power over life, death, and the grave. And yet, their mindset is let's make him our leader, let's make him our king. And yet, the reason why the religious leaders are upset about this is because it doesn't, it's not the right team for them. He didn't come from the right spot to make them. He doesn't have the right pedigree. He's from, from, from nowhere and nothing, a little town called Nazareth. Because you would think that they would jump on board as well, but they don't. They, they don't jump on board. They want to make sure that the narrative stays the way they want and the right people are in their places because this is a grassroots thing that's the people who want Jesus to be king because here's what happens and if we're not careful we'll make the same mistake it what they're essentially saying is it can't be good or it can't be God if they're not on our team let me, let, me, let me say that again. It can't be good, or maybe, it, dare I say, it can't be God if they're not on our team. That stung a little bit, didn't it? Somebody say amen to that. You ever find yourself when they're not on your team struggling to find good? I have that problem. I have that very problem. And, and, and ultimately, that's, that's, that's what he says to them. He puts them in a dilemma. When they go to stone him, he says, I've shown you many good works. For which of them do you stone me? Just, get, just pick one. Which one? I just want to know if you have a charge again. It, because ultimately, the stoning was in place to, to, to do away with evil, not good. So he goes, okay, now what have you done? Well, you've, mi you've misplaced it. 
You're now calling good evil and evil good. Can I just say that that's not just a prediction of what we call the last day? People have been doing that forever. People have been using their story, their narrative, their thing to say, this is good, you know, whether you like it. And so then we all have to wrestle with the fact, can you bring him down just a bit? And, and let's just, let's just uh, stop for a moment. If, if somebody, is there a mom who could go out and maybe help, maybe encourage out in the lobby? Yeah, why don't you go help? Let's just pray for that, the, the baby and let's just pray for that. Uh, because it's okay, I got four kids. I hear them cry nonstop, friend. Uh, we just want to encourage her. Jesus, I just thank you for that child. I just pray for peace. I pray that you just encourage them. You give strength to mom and dad, as we're all trying with the fear of the Lord and the goodness in our heart to encourage and love our children. And man, it can be so difficult. And so in this time, I just pray that you help all of us who are parents, grandparents. Let us have more and more grace than we ever thought was possible. Let us have more and more goodness and patience because we're so, this low-grade stress that we're all feeling like a hum in a speaker. We can't really articulate it, but it's very annoying and we can't really understand where it's coming from, but it just brings us sense of being unsettled so I pray that you settle our hearts you help us you give grace to us in Jesus name everybody said amen Amen. so here's here's a couple things Jesus is trying to give them something in contrast to revolution what he's trying to give them is revelation he's trying to give them a vision of who he actually is and then when you see what he's at, who he actually is and what he's actually doing, then you are able to follow him completely. I mean, think about the story of Peter. I mean, I mean everyone gives Peter bad rap. People, people call Peter a coward because at one time he denies Jesus, right? He, he denies him multiple times and Jesus actually predicts that Peter will deny him. But here's, here's what happens. Before that happens, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and they come to arrest Jesus. They come to arrest him. And do you remember the story? Peter grabs a sword, someone else's sword, and he strikes one of the chief priest's assistants. You remember the story? Terrible aim. He takes off an ear, right? Like, uh, But yet... What you don't realize is the people who are coming are the guards of the temple. These are, these are the temple marines. I mean, I mean these, guys, these guys are packing, and, and there's a lot of them. There, there are a lot of men all coming to get untrained, uneducated fishermen who we know aren't armed, and we've seen them out in public, and Peter strikes first who strikes marines first not cowards not cowards see peter wasn't a coward he was conflicted why because he thought this was the moment this is the revolt 
We, we've avoided it all along, but this is the time. Here's where revolution comes in. He goes, I'll go, man, I've seen him. I'm not scared. He can heal me. He can raise me from the dead. I'm playing a video game, baby. Respawn. He's not afraid at all. But he's conflicted and he's confused because he doesn't see Jesus clearly. So what's he do? He strikes. And what's Jesus say? Peter, no, no, no. That's not why we're, that's not why I'm here. That's not what this is about. And he says to him, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Because ultimately, friend, I'm not here to take life. I'm here to give life by giving my life. And that, Peter's in shock. He runs, he hides, he then denies him. No, no, no. They say, you sound like him. Imagine an accusation like that. Don't you wish somebody would accuse you of that? You sound like Jesus, right? No, right? It's like, you, you, you even sound like him. He says, no. Why does Peter do that? Because Peter thinks the whole thing's over. That's why they all go back to fishing when Jesus is crucified. No one's expecting resurrection. And that's the revelation that he's trying to give us that this is about a new life. This is about a new life bursting forth right in the middle of this one. I heard it said like this, that there's a remodel going on and it's been going on since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a remodel of creation and none of us moved out. Could you imagine being a remodel? Full time, the whole thing, top to bottom. Little by little, there's going to be some debris. There's going to be some sawdust, some sheetrock. There's going to be some times where we're having to move over stuff and move stuff. Why? Because Jesus is remodeling. He's renewing. He's making all things new. Well, then that means we have to trust him. And that means we have to allow him to work because he's the only one who works in the hearts of people. Because you have no control over anyone else's self. Friend, you barely have control over yourself. So then I'll give him control of my life. And if, I'm, if the Bible demands that I give my life over for his control, then how dare I try to control someone else's? Let me say that again. I don't think you got that the first time. If I can't control myself, if I don't know what's best for me, then how could I control another person's self? That's in the good, in the bad, in the ugly. And the question becomes, do I believe what Jesus says? Do I hear his voice and a stranger I will not follow. Pastor Sam, how do I hear his voice? Well, if you're in here today, you've already heard his voice. He called you. What he talks about is my, my sheep know my voice and they come to me and they know me and I know him. 
I know them. If you're in here today, Jesus is calling you. If you've followed Jesus, he's wooed you here. If you're even debating with him, you're in a debate with him and you hear his voice. If you're even tempted to believe, that's his voice. The call. See, sometimes we take it to this nuance and we ask, we ask then, I don't know, how do I know, how do I hear God's voice when it comes to this or this? And, and that's one of those things where we're just kind of focused in the, in the micro and we're not even thinking about his voice in the macro of things. We're thinking about the, the small things, the small details, because that's what entraps us, right? That's how the enemy knows if he can give you comfort, if he can remove you from conflict. See, the enemy doesn't necessarily make your life hell. He'll make your life comfortable, so he'll lead you to hell. You probably want to tweet that later. He will. He'll make you go, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this life. I'm fine with these comforts. I'm fine with this stuff. Oh, this stuff that rusts, this stuff that withers away, this stuff that cannot sustain you or make you happy, and the more stuff you got, you thought that that car, you thought that that house, you thought that that phone, you thought that the next thing, if I just had the next job, if I just had the next relationship, and you realize that soul satisfaction can only come from the one who knows your soul intimately. But if he can convince you to hold on what is convenient and comfortable and not live in such a way that you realize whether to live is Christ or to die is gain. I, I'll work for Christ while I'm here, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And who can take away what they cannot give? Only God gives life. And he says, and no one will snatch them from my hand. I will keep them. I will preserve them. I will make them a spotless and blameless bride. I will present them for myself I will make a place for them and where I am they may be also so then what else really matters what are you worried about what are you afraid of and it's almost like this this scene from some of you need to get a, a, a little Macaulay Culkin down in your heart I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. What do I need to be afraid of? For those of you who have never seen Home Alone, uh, shame on you, right? Because that was a pretty good reference. So you need to step up and announce out, I'm not afraid anymore. Why? Because he's got me in his hand and nothing can snatch me away. I've heard his voice. I am his and he gave himself for me so I'll live in such a way that brings glory to him. And maybe, dare I say, people might accuse me of sounding like him. Because if you could see who Jesus is, man, that would change everything. 
How do I see him, Pastor? Open this book. Because every time, that was, the, that was the next part of that opening. Remember? Remember that? You remember it. You say it every week. I believe this, the Bible is a story about Jesus. And every time you read it, you get to meet with Jesus. And so then, friends, your prayer life has to change. It has to change from, God, will you do this? Will, will, you, will you help me with this? Hey, God, could you fix this? God, would you just change this? Instead of going, God, let me see you through the person of Jesus. Because the Father and Jesus are one. And when I see Jesus, I see the Father. So then, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my revolution, not my revolt, not my ideas, not my policies, not my politics, not my legislation, but me trusting in the one who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he's the only one who changes human hearts. He's the only one who could take a murderer of Christians and turn him into the greatest ancient writer in the history of the world. No one could take murderers and turn them into martyrs and have people celebrate them that only happens through a creator who loves his creation and he's steadfast he is with full resolve committed to preserving you for his own not for your comfort your convenience. He is committed to preserving you and keeping you for His glory. He'll present you as a work of art and He makes beautiful things out of the dirt. And His glory results in our good. And that is good news. And that's a Jesus story. So will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that you are committed to our transformation. Jesus, the litmus test for whether or not we endeavor to be revolutionaries or we're committed to revelation is one takes and one gives. If we're merely revolting, we endeavor to take something. But the revelation that you want is to give us picture of who you are so let us live in such a way that our lives are revelations to the world that they're able to see let us give ourselves let us give it by speaking the truth in love by saying yes when we mean yes by saying no when we mean no being being committed to being self-controlled that we are crucified with Christ that it's no longer us who lives but Christ who lives in us and through us for your glory and our good. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?